today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. You had to repent. You had to turn from your wicked ways. You had to, again, determine in your heart and life, I don't want to go that way anymore. I desire to go the way that pleases God. As a sinner, the Word of God says that you and I were called to repentance. There needs to be godly sorrow in our lives, not just earthly or worldly sorrow, there needs to be godly sorrow that leads to repentance. The Word says that all men everywhere are called to repent towards God. Simple belief in Jesus is not enough to change a heart, for the Bible says that even the demons believe and shudder. In today's message, Pastor David teaches us that in order to receive salvation, we must first repent of our sin. Repentance means that we experience true godly sorrow over the mistakes that we've made. Repentance also means that we turn away from our sins and turn to the Lord Jesus to deliver us from all unrighteousness. When belief comes with a contrite heart, we experience the new birth. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message, The Glory of Grace, from 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13, Peter writes, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by traditions of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. When Peter writes, if you call on the Father, he is making a statement to those that he's writing to. He's writing to believers. If you call on the Father, for you it might have been at a a church service similar to this. It might have been for you a a huge, big evangelistic event or perhaps a, a Christian concert of some sort. Maybe it was through Christian radio or Christian television. Maybe it was because someone shared with you, perhaps a a dear and a trusted friend or a family member or even a, a co-worker. Or for you, it might have been the simplicity of just 
reading the Word of God all on your own, and the Holy Spirit then revealing Christ and Him crucified that got your attention, that kind of woke you up from the darkness that you were living in at that point in time. When you think back to the time when the gospel message finally made sense to you, when you finally understood that you were a great sinner in need of a greater Savior, do you remember what it was that specifically got your attention at that time? However, whenever it came about in your life, some of you understood the greatness of a judgment that you were pressing toward, that that your life was mortal, that you weren't going to live forever. Usually when you're in your teens and early 20s, you kind of have that feeling of living forever, but uh, reality hits us pretty quick a little later. Uh, some, you understood that you were going to be judged, that you... When judged, you are going to be wholly and completely and entirely guilty, as the saying goes, that you are going to be guilty of sin. For you, the knowledge of an eternal hell separated from God and being in the midst of eternal and continual torment, maybe that's what got your attention as it was being shared with you either by someone else or even as you read the word and the Holy Spirit revealed it to you yourself. For others, maybe you are surrounded by, by hopelessness and, and despair and, and just a real emptiness in your life. And it was the understanding of the love of Jesus Christ for you, the fact that he was reaching out his hands for you, the fact that he reached him out in two ways. He reached him out as he hung on the cross for you, but then he also reached him out drawing you to himself. In the midst of the emptiness of your life, he desired to reveal himself to you, even though you knew yourself that you were unworthy of his love. For you, that offer of complete forgiveness, uh, an inward cleansing of your soul, and eternal loving relationship with your Creator was what drew you to Him. Regardless of how the message of the gospel or the hope of the gospel was received by you, in order for you to become the true recipients of the grace of God, three things had to take place in your life. First of all, you had to believe. You had to believe that what you heard or what you read was true, even though you may not have understood it fully. You had to believe that that was truth. The second thing that had to take place in your life and in every believer's life is that there had to be a time of repentance, a time of turning the reality that I'm going the wrong way and I need to turn around and go the other way. The third thing that had to take place in every believer's life is that you had to receive. The fact is, is that God was offering salvation, but you had to receive it. Because if we don't receive it, beloved, it's a, it, it, it does us no good. It, it's not effective in our own lives. Those three factors are part of the process of true salvation for everyone who would call on the Father. You had to believe. You had to believe that God is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. 
You had to believe. You had to believe that Christ was crucified, that he was the payment for your sin. You had to believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. You had to believe that he who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise us up with Jesus. But you know what? You had to do more than believe. Because the word of God says that even the demons believe. And they're at least wise enough to tremble at that knowledge. You had to do more than just believe. Belief is not enough. You had to repent. You had to turn from your wicked ways. You had to, again, determine in your heart and life, I don't want to go that way anymore. I desire to go the way that pleases God. As a sinner, the word of God says that you and I were called to repentance. There needs to be godly sorrow in our lives, not just earthly or worldly sorrow. There needs to be godly sorrow that leads to repentance. The word says that all men everywhere are called to repent towards God. The word tells us that God is not willing that any would perish, but that all should come to repentance. But you know what? You had to do more than believe. You had to do more than simply repent. Because there's a lot of people that say, oh, I believe that there is a God, and I know my life is messed up, and so I'm going to take this 12-step program, or I'm going to join this club or this group, or I'm just going to change my life. And that still won't get it. To believe and even to repent is not enough according to God's word. The third thing needs to take place in every individual's life. You have to receive the gift. You have to receive the gift of forgiveness of sin and that hope of eternal life. The gift is offered, but you have to receive it. If I came to you on Christmas morning and I had the very gift that you have been hoping for and praying for and writing letters to whomever you write letters to on that time of year, and and I give you this gift, but you don't take it, is it your gift? No. If I come to you and I say, I I know exactly what you need for your new house, and and I've got a housewarming gift for you, and this will help you in every way in, in getting your house all set up, and I have it there for you, and you don't, Take the gift. It's not yours. It doesn't become effective for you. So the gift of grace needs to be received. The gift comes only through Jesus Christ. It's the gift of God, and that is eternal life in Jesus Christ through the forgiveness of sin because of the completed work of Christ in his death on the cross. You receive the gift of God by grace and through no works of your own. Now, so much could be said just on these aspects of salvation, but you need to realize that Peter, when he writes, if you call on the Father, he's not doubting anyone's salvation. In essence, what he's saying is, since you call on the Father, or since you are calling out to God as your Father, it's sort of like what we would say to our kids. Hey, if you kids want ice cream, you better go clean your room. Now, we know they want ice cream. It's genetically part of their makeup, okay? 
So we're not asking them, do you want ice cream? We say, if you want ice cream, then there is a responsibility for that. And that's what Peter writes to us here. There's, there's absolutely no doubt that they are believers. That's, that's what Peter is writing to. He says, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontius and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia. You're, you're the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. You're, you're sanctified of the Spirit for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's who the letter was addressed to. So there's no doubt about their salvation. Peter understands he's talking to believers here. Believers who do and will continue to call out to God as their heavenly father. And he's simply telling them that now there is a great responsibility that you and I have as children of God. Since I call God as my father, I have a responsibility in that. However, before he speaks about that responsibility, he interjects a little bit of a description of how God works here. He reminds them that our God is is a God who, without partiality, judges according to each one's work. So at at first glance, if you're not really understanding what's being written here, you might think that Peter's writing about a works-based salvation, and you couldn't be any further from the truth, because that's not what he's writing about. In the context of all that Peter writes, he reminds us that our salvation, which was obtained by grace through faith, it ought to produce good works. Remember last week I reminded you that out of the Reformation came that saying that we are saved by grace alone, but that our salvation uh, isn't alone. It, there has to be works that follow that. In other words, it's, it's, we, we are saved by grace and through faith. But again, in that process, because of the change of our lives, there needs to be something in our lives that is a demonstration of the reality of that. When we come to faith in Christ, our sins are forgiven completely and totally, past, present, and future. But yet at that, we can't simply go and say, well, you know, therefore I can go and live any way that I want to. I can do anything that I want to do. Because, beloved, if you have that sort of an attitude, then that proves that there's not truly saving faith within your life. But here he's not writing about a salvation issue. He does write about the fact that there is a judgment in reference to our works. Even the Apostle Paul speaks about these things. Again, Paul, that Apostle of Grace, we spoke about that last week. Paul writes to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, therefore, we make it our aim as believers, therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him, to, to God. For we all, all of us as believers, must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And I like how one writer puts it. He says that this is a family judgment. Okay, This is not for non-believers. This is for believers, a judgment that will 
each one of us will stand before God in reference to. It's where God will examine the intent of every believer's heart. The intent in all of the actions that we've done here on the earth. He'll show us the very motives of ministry even. And that in all of our good works, he'll show why we've done those things. And he'll be the one to judge as to rather they were gold, silver, or precious stone, or wood, hay, and stubble. Paul tells us again in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because I, because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work, what sort it is. Now, if anyone's work which has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Yet so as though by fire. I'm afraid that for some Christians, some of our best stuff, some of the things that we are proudest of, accomplishments in our life where we've invested great amounts of time, energy, and yeah, maybe even some of our resources. I'm afraid that for some of us, a lot of those things are simply going to go up in smoke because of the intent of our heart, because of the motives behind it. Were we doing it to impress someone, to show them, hey, look, I'll do this to show you that I'm a religious dude, okay? And I'm going to do this to show you that I'm a righteous fella. I'm going to do this to impress you. I'm going to do this because it was expected of me by the church that I go to. The church that I go to requires that I do thus, and so, therefore, I'm going to do it. All of those things if they're not for the glory of God only, then it just burns. It just burns. All that we, that's why the word says over and over again, that concept, that idea of all that we do, both in word and deed, all that our hands find to do, it needs to be done for the glory of God. Not to impress one another, not to please even one another, even though we are to, you know, be a blessing to those around it. The greater purpose of our life is to give glory to God. The only things that are going to last are going to be those things that bring glory and honor to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But if it's full of your fingerprints all over it, And if it's designed and fashioned and formed by you or I, that's just kindling for the fire, folks. But I love what Paul said in that. Now, the works will all be burned up, but yet you'll still be saved because he's talking to believers. You'll still be saved, but yet as by fire. So here back in, in Peter... Peter tells us in verse 17 that since there is this coming judgment in reference to our works, not a salvation-based judgment, but a rewards-based judgment, because it is coming, 
it, with no partiality, we need to, as he says in verse 17, conduct yourselves through the time of your stay here in fear. Now, I'm not going to go into uh, the idea of the fear of God. We've covered that on previous occasions. Again, it's not the idea of you're, you're fearing God that he's going to whack you with the big stick, okay? That you, you, you step out of line one point or one way, and God's going to come down with, with the two-by-four across your head. Now, I admit, some of us need a two-by-four just to get our attention, but that's a whole other manner. He's not saying that, that in the midst of this, that this fear of God is that, the, that, that we run away from him in the fear as we would a, a mama grizzly bear, okay? It is the fear that speaks of the awesome reverence of who God is. We don't take him as a small thing. We don't uh, have the idea or the concept of, of those in the past who have said, yeah, me and the man upstairs. No, he's not the man upstairs, okay? As a matter of fact, the Jews revered him and his name so greatly that they wouldn't even speak his name because they revered him so greatly. Oh, that we have that kind of reverence today, but unfortunately in our society today, there's very little that we see reverence for. Peter goes on to speak of the fact that our salvation was secured by a very precious price, the blood of Jesus Christ. We, we couldn't buy our salvation. There, there was not enough resources within this world to be for you and I to buy our salvation. He tells us in verse 18, he says, knowing, understanding, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Many of those to whom Peter's writing right now, they were possibly either slaves or ex-slaves within the Roman Empire. For the one that was in bondage to slavery during that time, the only way to be set free was to be redeemed. To you and I today, that's a theological term, but for them during that time in first century Rome, it carried up much different meaning. Warren Wiersbe writes in reference to this, he says that there were probably about 60 million slaves in the empire, in the Roman Empire during that time. Many slaves became Christians and fellowshiped in the local assemblies. A slave could purchase his own freedom if he could collect sufficient funds, or his master could sell him to someone who would pay the price and set him free. Redemption was a precious thing in that day. But even as Peter writes to us here, did you know where he places the status of gold and silver? Things that we put so much value on, Peter says that they are corruptible things. Let me ask you, is it because gold and silver are intrinsically corrupt? I've got a $20 bill here. Nice, precious. Yeah, it's a real one. I've got a $20 bill here. Is there anything evil about that $20 bill? No. It's a piece of paper. Worth less than $20, I can guarantee you that. But uh, it itself is a piece of paper. It's what you and I do with it that makes it either corrupt or a blessing. 
Pastor David Landry has been taking us verse by verse through the book of 1 Peter, reminding us through this letter that persecution comes to every follower of Jesus. The encouragement to keep strong in faith in those times of trial is also a challenge, though. Instead of complaining, turn to Jesus. Instead of shrinking from the hard questions, embrace them with truth. Walking in faith and with hope isn't an easy task, but Jesus has promised to walk with us and give us the words we need to speak. We're so glad you tuned in today to The Open Word, and we hope you're leaving us today feeling stronger in your faith. Before we close our time with you today, though, Pastor David would like to ask you to consider partnering with us here at The Open Word. You know I love being able to share the Word of God with you through this radio ministry. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. But as with any ministry, there are expenses. I know God is blessing His children through The Open Word, and God has given us a vision to see this ministry expand and reach even further. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to theopenword.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Your gift, large or small, is greatly appreciated for the kingdom of God. Thanks, Pastor David, and thank you for being a part of our time here today. Pastor David will return soon to continue studying 1 Peter right here on The Open Word.